The Slow TV Podcast with Tim Previtt. Hello, I'm Tim Previtt. I love Slow TV and this is the Slow TV Podcast. In this and the following episode, we hear an interview recorded for my documentary, That Damned Cow. Just what is Norwegian Slow TV? You can watch the documentary from my Facebook page, link included in the description of this episode. This interview is with Thomas Hellam and Rune Merklebust, two of the creators and producers of Slow TV from NRK Hordaland in Bergen, Norway. We are in one of the social areas on board a moored Hurtigruten ferry several hours before it departs on its journey up north to Kirkenes. The interview is recorded in August 2014. When I've been researching you on the internet, I come across a picture of you speaking to a conference in Berlin earlier this year. And behind you, you had... Uh, a quote saying um, now what was it slow TV it's time to go home or go slow this is either the worst thing that's happened to my career or the best thing what was the story with that <laughs> that's the that's the quote from the American company who I bought the, the rights to make slow TV in the states mm-hmm. and uh, after buying the rights that was his quote. This is either the... Eric Schultz. Yeah, this yeah. is the, the smartest thing or the dumbest thing I've done. So hopefully it will turn out to be the smartest, but we don't know yet. Take us back to that discussion around the lunch table where somebody had the idea about doing a radio programme to mark the invasion, German invasion of Norway and how Minute for Minute grew out of that conversation. Yes, it's back in... Uh, it's back in 2009 and... Uh, it's in our lunchroom, and a colleague of mine, he says, why don't we make a radio program to mark the day of the German invasion? We tell the story during the night at the exact time, at the exact place, as it happened. And uh, this was a brilliant idea, except it was just a couple of weeks to go and no time to do it. So we were sitting there discussing what other things takes really long time, what other things can you tell as they evolves and um, some of us came up with the train from western to eastern part of Norway and it's really slow it used the same time as it did 40 years ago actually slower actually slower <laughs> takes longer time today than in the 60s yeah we decided and discussed the idea can we tell the story of the Bergen Railway in real time and we called our commissioning editors in Oslo and we said, we want to make a documentary about the Bergen Railway, and we want to make it in full length. And uh, the response was kind of, they laughed <laughs> and didn't understand exactly what we meant at the first second. But when they did, they laughed in a very good way. So it turned out that we was allowed to, to make the program. Actually, they they turned the question from not what will NRK risk with doing this project, in, but they turned it to be what will NRK risk with not making this crazy program lasting for seven hours. If you could tell us what each of your roles are within NRK and what your part in the story of Minute for Minute was. So, so Thomas, what, what do you do in NRK and where do you fit within Minute for Minute? I'm normally, I'm, uh, what do you call it? 
Uh, I'm normally a project manager for like half of the time, and I'm a photographer for half the time. I'm technically educated, but and I normally make documentaries, entertainment programs, and so on. But after this slow TV project, my time has more and more uh, got into the, the slow TV, and there I am a project manager, producer for the programs. Do you do much with pre-production and planning and, and working out technical aspects? From from inception from to the delivery. Idea, from uh, the first idea to okay. the finished program, it's it's planning and it's more and more practical. And it's of course I don't do the technical things on my own. This is a, some of these projects are huge, involving a lot of people and uh, a lot of technical expertise and people really knowing what they do. But my job is to to get them come up with the best ideas and working well together. Okay. Runa. Yes. The same question for you. I'll just frame your shot. Yeah. He didn't say his, uh, his, uh, his uh, um, formal title now. is Head of Slow TV. <laughs> That's a new title. It's a new title. Which is <laughs> head of Slow TV. Nice. Yeah, Head of Slow TV. <laughs> it's never been there before. <laughs> it's a new one. Okay. Um... And he's and he's uh, he's he's known as a, as a producer. He he was always been known for his thinking outside the box. And now, of course, for the slow TV, he's been outside the box for. He hasn't come inside the box again. He's okay. just outside the box. Now I'm I'm head of program at NRK in in Bergen, and I'm uh, so I'm responsible for all the production that's been done here. And throughout the history of slow TV. Um, yeah, sort of the executive producer for it, uh, being responsible for the first pitch to uh, the commissioning editors and, and the head of channel in Oslo. And uh, uh, I was on the fir- on the, the train ride, actually just to do the, the media, just to uh, uh, yeah do interviews and, and get. Uh, Get the media to write um, to write about us, write what we're doing, um, and <laughs> nobody, almost nobody, understood what it was. We, we didn't ourselves either. We didn't we didn't realize how big it was going to be. It was, it was a very uh, strange project that we were uh, doing, um, uh, and it was very difficult to, to get the attention out there. But we have. Yeah, definitely got it later. So it's been we've been working on all those projects together, uh, being responsible for them. Yeah, and we really like being outside the box, both of us. Yeah. So it's uh, uh, we have a long history of exchanging ideas on text messages, on emails, on uh, notes, and uh, on the weirdest time of day. So it's, uh, I think, to th- to think outside the box, you have to have something. You have to have somebody to be there with. Yeah, definitely. There's the something in between her. <laughs> happens a lot between her. Yeah. Yeah. How has Slow TV minute for minute grown since the Bergensbahnen? After the Bergen Railway, that was really a shot in the dark, or what you say in English. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody came up with why don't take the iconic journey 
Uchtelutten, it's five and a half days. It's 3,000 kilometers. It's along the whole Norwegian coast. It has a 120 years long history. Why don't you cover it minute by minute for five and a half days? And because the Bergen Railway was such a success, we were allowed to take over a whole channel. This is not a program, this is a channel for five and a half days. And, uh, and transmit from Hürtelüten continuously, without any breaks, without any... We don't have commercials, so it's just continuously for 134 hours, 42 minutes, 45 seconds. And we did it live, and that was a huge, marvelous, overwhelming experience, really. The short story is that after that one, we have then we have made also some smaller train ride, like one hour, and uh, a tram Herringberg, and that takes 20 minutes. And we've done some smaller test projects. But after the Hörtelrütten show, there was really uh, no slow TV was a word that people spoke about. And the Hörtelrütten show was seen by 3.2 million Norwegian. And it's only five million people in this country, so that's that's a lot. And after that, now slow TV was kind of a verb, so so we started thinking. Is there other things you can tell in a slow way? Is there, is there other stories to tell? And there is. So we did, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Bergenspan is a long journey. The Hurtigruten is a long journey. Why can we do something that is uh, not a journey, but make it long, tell it in a long way, and do something that you uh, normally tell in about three or four minutes uh, in its uh, total length. Uh, so we've tried 24 hours of salmon fishing. Uh, just mounted a lot of cameras and wire cameras uh, across the river, and uh, did a huge production of just fishing salmon. It took about three hours before the first salmon was uh, landed uh, in the middle of the night. And actually, after about 18 hours of fishing, I spoke to the head of channel and he said, it felt a little short, didn't it? <laughs> so we've actually been uh, on a sort of a journey from seven hours, which was a very long program before it was, before it was aired and before it was written. It was actually 134 hours and then uh, only 18 hours of, of salmon fishing was way too short. So it's yeah, strange to actually come there uh, and realize that almost a whole day of programming could, could feel short, too short. So we've done that and we've done the uh, firewood, National Firewood Night, which was a kind of different because actually when you stand up fishing, there is actually a lot of action, uh, although there's nothing happening because on every cast you can actually, the, the salmon can be there. But it's uh, just eight hours of just the fireplace, there's nothing happening. Although the fire could actually put out, but it's uh, so the photographer had to put on a new login uh, every half hour or so. So that was actually something that we didn't think of, but, but the photographer learned how to do it <laughs> during the, when the program was on. So uh, we actually, and it's been important for us to 
every project is uh, unique. It's not a remake of the other one, but it's a new one. So, and important also to sort of push the boundaries for each project, but not too much, but a little bit. So it's something new. Uh, so we have the yeah. national national knitting eve. The new thing there was that we wanted to we wanted to knit a sweater from a sheep in real time. And it, uh, the Australians, of course, have the record. I think it's around five hours or something. We used almost nine, but it was a fabulous TV night. Live, from cutting the sheep to finished sweater. And in the middle of the night, the seven ladies were so uh, were giggling and so overtired that it was very funny TV almost for nine hours, really. And uh, we made another railway show, and that we couldn't do live because of all the tunnels. So then we decided to add something new. We added, we made it in four seasons, and dissolved between the seasons in full-length, ten-hour program. But it really uh, added something new to it. And then the last one aired is the the peep show just bird watching for 14 hours on TV a Sunday. But there's something very unique about the set design for the peep show. Uh, BBC does something called Spring Watch and Autumn Watch, but the animals are kept in a, in a very natural-looking environment. The peep show did something different. Yes, there was a kind of an art project, an idea from outside the broadcaster that came up with this idea of making a kind of a pub so the, peep, uh, the birds are meeting in the pub and then you have another birdhouse actually made as a house and there you can see them breed and feed their small birds and everything so it's a, it's a strange environment but, the, but the, the, the main thing about it is to watch the birds and the people discussing what kind of bird is it and have you seen this and that and, there's even a squirrel coming along. And other they have bar fights as well, yeah. fighting over the women. And as, <laughs> and as along with the, the other minute-by-minute minute project, it's live. So you keep sitting there and watching because something could happen. Probably won't, as always. But something could happen because it's live. And nobody has cut it out the interesting part for you. got a question... So what are the essential characteristics of slow TV? I think you mentioned when you were talking about the cow mm. and particular, uh, what makes it slow TV? I think what we have found out is that the longer you keep a picture, and especially a big picture, the longer you keep it, the more interesting it gets. So as a viewer, you have to look in the picture, you have to find the things you have to, you can watch and you start to get interesting into details in the picture. And the longer you keep it, the more interesting it gets. And you actually make the stories yourself between your own ears. It's no producer that has told you that this is interesting, this is the main thing of the story. You know, you just have to watch. As you as you do if you sit in a park on a bench and just watch people go by, it's 
the story is really inside you somehow. And then it's, um, it's important thing that uh, it's being told on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's so different. This way of producing is so different from all of the, all of the producing, all of the TV programs that uh, it stands out. So um, being on TV and being at least parts of it in prime time, it's important because mm -hmm. then you say to then as a broadcaster you tell you say to your audience that this is important. This is something that you really should watch. We're serious about this. They've done some some uh, tests otherwhere where they put it on the web. But of course, on the web, it's thousands of things you can see, thousands of webcams you can watch anywhere. But it's it's only there. But as a broadcaster, to put it in prime time, you say, "This is the menu for the evening. This is what you should watch." Danish broadcaster, um, they filmed the whole railway network in, in, in Denmark, which is done in in uh, a couple of days. Um, and they broadcasted it on a uh, very small channel, HD channel, they were testing of HD after midnight. And nobody watched it. Uh, you can either sleep or you can watch this. And it was not a success, so they concluded that, well, slow TV is not, is not for the Danish people. Of course, if they put it out in prime time on a bigger channel, they would have hit the, the audience. Um, and now they actually released it on DVD, and it's the most sold DVD by Danish radio. So there is some demand after all, but they, they did it wrong when it when it broadcast. And then it's about keeping the images, keeping the real time. It's, very, it's a very important thing. Um, do not cut in the timeline. Uh, of course, that's difficult to do when it's live, but if you do a recording, uh, don't, uh, don't mess up the timeline, just uh, stay. Stay um, focused on just telling it as it happened. Um, sometimes we say this is real reality TV because this is reality. This is not staged in any way. It is just as it is. And what happens is what happens. So when we go with the ship for five and a half days, we didn't plan anything to happen. What happened along the route is what happened, and what, what uh, is, that was what the audience. Uh, uh, watching TV, uh, so so, and we didn't plan any of it, which is also important because then it gets more real uh, than if it's it's all staged and planned. Or, uh, so um, yeah, there's a lit, there's a lot of it's, it's a big question. What is the characteristics of slow TV? But it, I think yeah, this is uh, some of the most important ingredients. I think it's, it's probably yourselves that have said it this way. It's about reality revealing itself, and it's not about arrange, uh, arranging events, it's about re recording them, filming them. So could slow TV be construed, um, be said to be a, a more true form of documentary? It's not so much about manipulating people to perform, but allowing the events to be seen. There's a bit of a philosophical discussion yeah. going on there. Because but yes, I, I, I definitely think there's something there. But because when we sail the coast for 134 hours, we just um, we uh, show the coast as it is right now. And it's not uh, staged anyway. It's not edited. So it's so it is a real documentary. And there's also, I think, why. It is. It's in the. It's on the UNESCO Memory of the World 
the Norwegian UNESCO memory of the world list because it sort of took a picture of the summer of 2011. This was how it looked like and this was how the people was, this was how the weather was and I mean, so it was a sort of a unique document. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it's kind of philosophical also because it's not normal that it's 2,000 people on that, in that mm. harbor. That's because we are there with a camera. So of course we are... Sort of artificial as well, yeah. Yeah, so we are influencing on something, but we don't stage this, we don't tell the people. So it's, it's as well as a documentary about uh, the coast, it's, it's a program about how people will make their own program. <laughs> In a way, because it's it's all the thousands of the people along the coast who made the Hurtigruten show. It's those it's those people who made the the content of the program. It's not us, but it's at the same time it's a, of course it's a TV program, and the, and, the, and the eleven cameras are there, and they are totally aware of it. So it's it's not a fly on the wall. It's a very distinctive. Here comes TV. But it's at the same time, it's just we film what's happening. At what point did you know that there was something different happening about the program you were making? You mentioned about the the Friday evening audiences for NRK2 was typically quite small, and then during the broadcast, you saw an enormous jump in the viewing figures. And then during at the end of Have I Got News for You, the viewer said the train is now at this stop, go and have a look, or, or and so many people did. Tell us about the figures and, and what happened there. That moment when you thought, "Wow, this is—we we weren't expecting this." Of course, we didn't—we didn't know the figures that evening, but we we noticed a huge amount of Twitter messages and Facebook, uh, uh, so on. So we knew that something was something was going on, and I think the small niche channel uh, people find them when when there's something interesting to watch people find the channel. So uh, so this is one example of that. If, so people heard about this, they read about it on Twitter, and they, what is this train things going on? And they had to look, so they went to the telly and put it on NRK2 and, and, and watched them. And 1.2 million, again, of the 5 million Norwegian watched part of the Bergen Railway, and that's... And at, on average, it was 135 175,000 people. And that's a long train. The whole, the whole journey, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, NRK2 on a Friday night normally has a market share of 3 4%. This night it had about 15. So uh, it was a big jump, yes. Um, and we didn't get the figures until the Monday. Uh, but we got the feeling through all the text messages and the Facebook and Twitter and the hash, yeah, the uh, um, what do you call it? Hashtag. All over the place. They were yeah. talking about and the day after and in the media, the newspapers, um, they were all talking about what was this, what happened. And it was so um, hypnotic. It was uh, we were just supposed to sit there for three minutes, check it out. We're sitting there three hours later, still watching. Um, so a lot of those uh, reactions. So we knew we'd hit something. And this, um, this was a, this was kind of weird also regarding 
who who watched because Twitter, social media, we saw that this was also younger people. They had this program, Bergen Railway, on the telly, on the party, on the Friday nights. Turn the music, our music down and turn up their own music, but still have the pictures on, on a, on a party. And we also got message from elderly people who thanks, thanked us. Now I finally got to do the journey. I've never been out of my door for three years. Now I was able to do a journey like this. And so it was a, a big span between, uh, between younger and elderly people watching this. And that's actually also very, um, uh, that is also a very important slow TV ingredient, trying to take the audience on board the train, on board the ship, on board the journey, get them to try to um, give them the feeling of actually being on the journey, uh, which has been very important for the journey slow TV productions. It just it actually has something to do also with the just being there while knitting, being there while, uh, while they're fishing, just trying to get a feeling of actually being somewhere else than in their own living room. This 76-year-old who wrote to us after, after the railway program, he was so hypnotized by uh, just sitting and watching the rails go by and about three o'clock in the morning when we stopped at the end station he uh, uh, got up from his chair uh, and thought he was and just reaching for his luggage realizing that he was in his own living room just crashing into the curb so and he was just he was there he was on the train so he was actually I've wrecked that the older viewers telephoned and wrote in after the show as well. It was those that aren't used to using social media or haven't got social media also contacted. Yeah, it's one of the most telephoned in responses to a show that you had. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And, Especially and, the Hotegood now. Okay. And they phoned in, and being five and a half days on TV live, they can actually phone in while the program is still on and they can actually contribute to us to, to change something. They can say, uh, well, no, it's too, too much music. Or we we uh, play a little bit less music. Now it's too much talking. We don't talk too much, that much. Now it's... Uh, what uh, kind of mountain is the death we are seeing? Yeah. Can you please tell us more about it? So, so we used social media a lot along the journey to have a relation and discussing with our viewers. And they really contributed to how the program ended also in that way. And it was, to give an example, it was uh, uh, the, the last day when we entered Kirkenes. We, we didn't plan for a helicopter shot, but we realized this is now so big, we, we want to have a helicopter shot. So we didn't know where to rent a helicopter near Kirkenes. So we just got out a Twitter message, do anybody know where to rent a helicopter? Took two seconds and then called Johnny on 92 and, and, and then some somebody make fun of it and said, oh, you don't need a helicopter, you can just walk minute by minute, blah, blah. And then two seconds, shut up, they need help. So it's kind of a self-justice out there on the social media. People wanted to contribute and they wanted the program to be to go well and to be they wanted us to to do to be good. What filming techniques do you use that help the viewers to have that 
vicarious experience and feel like they're taking the journey, ways of As we that. said, this has to be on TV, but it also has to be high quality. So we put as much effort into this as, as we do producing from the Olympics. This is HD, this is high quality uh, cameras, this is uh, Cineflex uh, makes us uh, able to take pictures, close-ups of people standing hundreds of meters away to really come close to people and, and make uh, nice pictures with high quality. So this this is this is also a way of sending a message to the viewer that we really mean something with this. We really, we really put effort into it and we put it in prime time, high quality. So this is uh, this is something really something to watch. I think one of the one of the things one of the things that hit the audience on the railway program was uh, they would, uh, we put the camera in front of the train uh, and the locomotive and then gave the. Um, the audience a view that they normally can't access with their own eyes. So they would see the trip in a way they they can't do uh, when traveling themselves. And, and we're thinking about the same thing with the ship, but on a ship you can walk all the way around. So there's no uh, such position, although there's, there's one and that is just beneath the bow. The bow? The bow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, he, so he made a, he made a wish uh, to one of our special photographers with a drawing of uh, some sort of a camera down there and so finally we got that also the gyro stabilized Cineflex camera which is uh, I, I'd say 80-90% of the whole Hilti uh program all the great images uh, that we got from that camera uh, which is actually never seen before um, in Norway and, and used in, in that way before. It's really combining combining the new ideas with the traditional outdoor broadcasts, thick green cable production. If you combine this you get something and new ideas into solid TV production. And that's bringing something from sports producing into a new area like this really heightened the, the quality of the product. You can hear the rest of this interview in part two, which is released a week from now. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date with future episodes covering the three aspects of slow TV for fans, or the kind of discussion of the enjoyment of slow TV. For thinkers, what makes slow TV different? How do people react and treat slow TV? And lots of questions, answers and explorations. And of course, for filmmakers, how slow TV is made by the likes of NRK, and by organisations and commercial productions, and by those without the budget, staff and tech of a large professional media organisation. I'm on most key social media. Be sure to check out the Slow TV blog, slowtelevision.blogspot.com. All new material, copyright Tim Previtt.